0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. CONCERNING CATS My Own and Some Others by Helen M. WINSLOW Read for LibriVox.org by Patricia Oakley DEDICATION editor of The Club Woman, to The Pretty Lady, who never betrayed a secret, broke a promise, or proved an unfaithful friend, who had all the virtues and none of the failings of her sex. I dedicate this volume concerning cats. Chapter 1 Concerning The Pretty Lady She was such a pretty lady, and gentle withal, so quiet and eminently ladylike in her behaviour, and yet dignified and haughtily reserved as a duchess. Still, it is better, under certain circumstances, to be a cat than to be a duchess. And no duchess of the realm ever had more faithful retainers or half-so-abject subjects. Do not tell me that cats never love people, that only places have real hold upon their affections. The pretty lady was contented wherever I, her most humble slave, went with her. She migrated with me from boarding-house to seashore cottage, then to regular housekeeping, up to the mountains for a summer, and back home, a long day's journey on the railway, and her attitude was always, Wheresoever thou goest, I will go, and thy people shall be my people. I have known and loved and studied many cats, but my knowledge of her alone would convince me that cats love people, in their dignified, reserved way, and when they feel that their love is not wasted, that they reason and that they seldom act from impulse. I do not remember that I was born with an inordinate fondness for cats, or that I cried for them as an infant. I do not know, even, that my childhood was marked by an overweening pride in them. This, perhaps, was because my cruel parents established a decree, rigid and unbending as the laws of the Medes and the Persians, THAT WE MUST NEVER HAVE MORE THAN ONE CAT AT A TIME. ALTHOUGH THIS VERY LAW MAY ARGUE THAT PREDILECTION, AT AN EARLY AGE, FOR HARBORING EVERYTHING FELINE WHICH CAME IN MY WAY, WHICH HAS SINCE BECOME AT ONCE A SOURCE OF COMFORT AND DISTRACTION. AFTER A SUCCESSION OF FELINE DYNASTIES, THE KINGS AND QUEENS OF WHICH WERE HANDSOME, UGLY, SLEEK, FORLORN, black, white, deaf, spotted, and otherwise marked, I remember fastening my affections securely upon one kitten, who grew up to be the ugliest, gauntest, and dingiest specimen I have ever seen. In the days of his kittenhood, I christened him Tassie, after his mother. But as time sped on, and the name hardly comported with masculine dignity, This was changed to Tacitus, as more befitting his sex. He had a habit of dodging in and out of the front door, which was heavy, and which sometimes swung together before he was well out of it. As a consequence, a caudal appendage with two broken joints was one of his distinguishing features. Besides a broken tail, he had ears which bore the marks of many a hard-fought battle. "'and an expression which for general lone and lornness "'would have discouraged even Mrs. Gummidge. "'But I loved him. "'And judging from the disconsolate and long-continued wailing "'with which he rilled the house whenever I was away, "'my affection was not unrequited. "'But my real thraldom did not begin "'until I took the pretty lady's mother.' We had not been a week in our first house, before a handsomely striped tabby, with eyes like beautiful emeralds, who had been the pet and pride of the next-door neighbor for five years, came over and domiciled herself. In due course of time she proudly presented us with five kittens. Educated in the belief that one cat was all that was compatible with respectability, I had four immediately disposed of, keeping the prettiest one, which grew up into the beautiful, fascinating, and seductive Maltese pretty lady, with white trimmings to her coat. The mother of pretty lady used to catch two mice at a time, and bringing them in together, lay one at my feet, and say, as plainly as cat language can say, There, you eat that one and I'll eat this, and then seemed much surprised and disgusted that I had not devoured mine when she had finished her meal. We were occupying a furnished house for the summer, however, and as we were to board through the winter, I took only the kitten back to town, thinking that the mother would return to her former home, just over the fence. But No! For two weeks she refused all food, and would not once enter the other house. Then I went out for her, and hearing my voice, she came in and sat down before me, literally scolding me for a quarter of an hour. I shall be laughed at. But actual tears stood in her lovely green eyes, and ran down her aristocratic nose, attesting her grief and accusing me, louder than her wailing, of perfidy. I could not keep her. She would not return to her old home. I finally compromised by carrying her in a covered basket, a mile and a half, and bestowing her upon a friend who loves cats nearly as well as I. But, although she was petted and praised, and fed on the choicest of delicacies, she would not be resigned. After six weeks of mourning she disappeared, and never was heard of more. Whether she sought a new and more constant mistress, or whether, in her grief at my shameless abandonment of her, she went to some lonely pier and threw herself off the dock, will never be known. But her reproachful gaze and tearful emerald eyes haunted me all winter. Many a restless night did I have to reproach myself for abandoning a creature who so truly loved me, and in many a dream did she return to heap shame and ignominy upon my repentant head. This experience determined me to cherish her daughter, whom, rather, I cherished as her son, until there were three little newborn kittens, which, in a moment of ignorance, I disposed of at once. Naturally, the young mother fell exceedingly ill. In the most pathetic way, she dragged herself after me, moaning and beseeching for help. Finally, I succumbed, went to a neighbor's, where several superfluous kittens had arrived the night before, and begged one. It was a little black fellow, cold and half dead, but the pretty lady was beside herself with joy when I bestowed it upon her. For two days she would not leave the box where I established their headquarters, and for months she refused to wean it, or to look upon it as less than absolutely perfect." I may say that the pretty lady lived to be nine years old, and had during that brief period no less than ninety three kittens, besides two adopted ones. But never did she bestow upon any of her own offspring that wealth of pride and affection which was showered upon Black Bobby. When the first child of her adoption was two weeks old, I was ill one morning and did not appear at breakfast. It had always been her custom to wait for my coming down in the morning, evidently considering it not an unimportant part of her duty to see me well launched for the day. Usually she sat at the head of the stairs, and waited patiently until she heard me moving about. Sometimes she came in and sat on a chair at the head of my bed, or gently touched my face with her nose or paw. Although she knew she was at liberty to sleep in my room, she seldom did so, except when she had an infant on her hands. At first she invariably kept him in a lower drawer of my bureau. When he was large enough, she removed him to the foot of the bed, where for a week or two her maternal solicitude and sociable habits of nocturnal conversation with her progeny interfered seriously with my night's rest. If my friends used to notice a wild and haggard appearance of unrest about me at certain periods of the year, the reason stands here, confessed. I was ill when Black Bobby was two weeks old. The pretty lady waited until breakfast was over, and as I did not appear, came up and jumped on the bed, where she manifested some curiosity as to my lack of active interest in the world's affairs. "'Now, Pussy,' I said, putting out my hand and stroking her back, "'I'm sick this morning. When you were sick, I went and got you a kitten. Can you get me one?' This was all. My sister came in then and spoke to me, and the pretty lady left us at once. But in less than two minutes she came back with her cherished kitten in her mouth. Depositing him in my neck— she stood and looked at me, as much as to say, There, you can take him a while. He cured me, and I won't be selfish, and I will share him with you. I was ill for three days, and all that time the kitten was kept with me. When his mother wanted him, she kept him on the foot of the bed, where she nursed and lapped "'and scrubbed him until it seemed as if she must wear "'even his stolid nerves completely out. "'But whenever she felt like going out, "'she brought him up and tucked him away in the hollow of my neck "'with a little guttural noise that, interpreted, meant, "'There, now you take care of him a while. "'I'm all tired out. Don't wake him up.' "'But when the infant had dropped soundly asleep,' She invariably came back and demanded him, and not only demanded, but dragged him forth from his lair by the nape of the neck, shrieking and protesting to the foot of the bed again, where he was obliged to go through another course of scrubbing and vigorous maternal attentions that actually kept his fur from growing as fast as the coats of less devotedly cared for kittens grow. When I was well enough to leave my room— She transferred him to my lower bureau drawer, and then to a vantage point behind an old lounge. But she never doubted, apparently, that it was the loan of that kitten that rescued me from an untimely grave. I have lost many an hour of much-needed sleep from my cat's habit of coming upstairs at four a.m. and jumping suddenly upon the bed, perhaps landing on the pit of my stomach. Waking in that fashion, unsympathetic persons would have pardoned me if I had indulged in injudicious language, or had even thrown the cat violently from my otherwise peaceful couch. But conscience has not to abrade me with any of these things. I flatter myself that I bear even this patiently." I remember to have often made sleepy but pleasant remarks to the faithful little friend whose affection for me, and whose desire to behold my countenance, was too great to permit her to wait till breakfast-time. If I lay awake for hours afterwards, perhaps getting nothing more than literal catnaps, I consoled myself with remembering how Richelieu, and Wellington, and Mohammed, and otherwise great as well as discriminating persons, loved cats. I remembered, with some stirrings of secret pride, that it is only the artistic nature, the truly aesthetic soul, that appreciates poetry and grace and all refined beauty, who truly loves cats. And thus, meditating with closed eyes, I courted slumber again, throughout the breaking dawn, while the cat purred in delight close at hand. The pretty lady was evidently of angora or coon descent, as her fur was always longer and silkier than that of ordinary cats. She was fond of all the family. When we boarded in Boston, we kept her in a front room, two flights from the ground. Whenever any of us came in the front door, she knew it, no human being could have told, sitting in a closed room in winter two flights up, the identity of a person coming up the stairs and opening the door. But the pretty lady, then only six months old, used to rouse from her nap in a big chair or from the top of a folding bed, jump down, and be at the hall door, ready to greet the incomer, before she was halfway up the stairs. The cat never got down for the wrong person, and she never neglected to meet any and every member of our family who might be entering. The irreverent scoffer may call it instinct, or talk about the sense of smell. I call it sagacity. One summer we all went up to the farm in northern Vermont, and decided to take her and her son, Mr. McGinty, with us. WE PUT THEM BOTH IN A LARGE MARKET-BASKET, AND TIED THE COVER SECURELY. ON THE TRAIN MR. MCGINTY MANIFESTED A DESIRE TO GET OUT, AND WAS ALLOWED TO DO SO, A STOUT CORD HAVING BEEN SECURED TO HIS COLLAR FIRST, AND THE OTHER END TIED TO THE CAR-SEAT. HE HAD A DELIGHTFUL JOURNEY. ONCE USED TO THE NOISE AND MOTION OF THE TRAIN, HE SAT ON OUR LAPS, CURLED UP ON THE SEAT, AND TOOK NAPS. Or looked out of the windows with evident puzzlement at the way things had suddenly taken to flying. He even made friends with the passengers, and in general amused himself as any other traveller would on an all day's journey by rail, except that he did not risk his eyesight by reading newspapers. But the pretty lady had not travelled for some years, and did not enjoy the trip as well as formerly. On the contrary, she curled herself into a round, tight ball in one corner of the basket till the journey's end was reached. Once at the farm she seemed contented as long as I remained with her. There was plenty of milk and cream, and she caught a great many mice. She was far too dainty to eat them, but she had an inherent pleasure in catching mice, just like her more plebeian sisters and she enjoyed presenting them to Mr. McGinty, or me, or some other worthy object of her solicitude. She was at first afraid of the big outdoors. The wide, wind-blown spaces, the broad, sunshiny sky, the silence and the roominess of it all, were quite different from her suburban experiences. And the farm animals, too, were, in her opinion, curiously dangerous objects. Big Dan, the horse, was truly a horrible creature. The rooster was a new and suspicious species of biped, and the bleeding calves objects of her direst hatred. The pig in his pen possessed for her the most horrid fascination. Again and again would she steal out and place herself where she could see that dreadful, strange, pink, fat creature inside his own quarters. She would fix her round eyes widely upon him, in blended fear and admiration. If the pig uttered the characteristic grunt of his race, the pretty lady at first ran swiftly away. But afterwards, she used to turn and gaze anxiously at us, as if to say, "'Do you hear that? Isn't this a truly horrible creature?' And in other ways evince the same sort of surprise that a professor in the Peabody Museum might were the skeleton of the Megatherian suddenly to accost him after the manner peculiar to its kind.' It was funnier, even, to see Mr. McGinty on the morning after his arrival at the farm, as he sallied forth and made acquaintance with other of God's creatures than humans and cats, and the natural enemy of his kind, the dog. In his suburban home he had caught rats, and captured on the sly many an English sparrow. When he first investigated his new quarters on the farm— HE DISCOVERED A BEAUTIFUL FLOCK OF VERY LARGE BIRDS, LED BY ONE TRULY GORGEOUS PLUMAGE. "'Ah,' thought Mr. McGinty, "'THIS IS A GREAT AND GLORIOUS COUNTRY, WHERE I CAN HAVE SUCH BIRDS AS THESE FOR THE CATCHING. TAME, TOO. I'LL HAVE ONE FOR BREAKFAST.' SO HE CROUCHED DOWN, TIGER-LIKE, and crept carefully along to a convenient distance, and was preparing to spring, when the large and gorgeous bird looked up from his worm and remarked, Cut, 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 and taking his wives, withdrew to the barn. Mr. McGinty drew back amazed. This is a queer bird, he seemed to say, saucy too. However, I'll soon have him and he crept more carefully than before up to a springing distance, when again this most gorgeous bird drew up and exclaimed with a note of annoyance, "'Cut! cut! 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 cut, what ails that old cat, anyway?' And again he led his various wives barnward. Mr. McGinty drew up with a surprised air, and apparently made a cursory study of the leading anatomical features of this strange bird. But he did not like to give up, and soon crouched and prepared for another onslaught. This time Mr. Chanticleer allowed the cat to come up close to his flock, when he turned and remarked in the most amicable manner, "'Cut! cut! cut! cut!' which, interpreted, seemed to mean— "'Come, now, that's all right. You're evidently new here. But you'd better take my advice and not fool with me.' Anyhow, with this, down went Mr. McGinty's hope of a bird breakfast, to the bottom of the sea, and he gave up the hunt. He soon made friends, however, with every animal on the place, and so endeared himself to the owners THAT HE LIVED OUT HIS DAYS THERE WITH A HUNDRED ACRES AND MORE AS HIS OWN HAPPY HUNTING-GROUND. NOT SO THE PRETTY LADY. I WENT AWAY ON A SHORT VISIT AFTER A FEW WEEKS, LEAVING HER BEHIND. FROM THE MOMENT OF MY DISAPPEARANCE, SHE WAS UNEASY AND UNHAPPY. ON THE FIFTH DAY SHE DISAPPEARED. WHEN I RETURNED AND FOUND HER NOT, I AM NOT ASHAMED TO SAY THAT I HUNTED AND CALLED HER EVERYWHERE, NOR EVEN THAT I SHED A FEW TEARS WHEN DAYS ROLLED INTO WEEKS AND SHE DID NOT APPEAR, AS I REALIZED THAT SHE MIGHT BE STARVING OR HAVE SUFFERED TORTURES FROM SOME LARGER ANIMAL. There are many remarkable stories of cats who find their way home across almost impossible roads and enormous distances. There is a saying, believed by many people, you can't lose a cat, which can be proved by hundreds of remarkable returns. But the pretty lady had absolutely no sense of locality. She had always lived indoors, and had never been allowed to roam the neighbourhood. It was five weeks before we found trace of her, and then only by accident. My sister was passing a field of grain, and caught a glimpse of a small creature, which she at first thought to be a woodchuck. She turned and looked at it, and called, Pussy! Pussy! when, with a heart-breaking little cry of utter delight and surprise, our beloved cat came toward her. FROM THE FIRST, THE WIDE EXPANSE OF THE COUNTRY HAD CONFUSED HER. SHE HAD EVIDENTLY LOST HER BEARINGS, AND WAS PROBABLY ALL THE TIME WITHIN FIFTEEN MINUTES WALK OF THE FARMHOUSE. WHEN FOUND, SHE WAS ONLY A SHADOW OF HERSELF, AND FOR THE FIRST AND ONLY TIME IN HER LIFE WE COULD COUNT HER RIBS. SHE WAS WILD WITH DELIGHT and clung to my sister's arms, as though fearing to lose her. And in all the fuss that was made over her return, no human being could have showed more affection or more satisfaction at finding her old friends again. That she really was lost, and had no sense of locality to guide her home, was proven by her conduct after she returned to her Boston home. I had preceded my sister, and was at the theatre on the evening when she arrived with the pretty lady. The latter was carried into the kitchen, taken from her basket, and fed. Then, instead of going around the house and settling herself in her old home, she went into the front hall, which she had left four months before. "'and seated herself on the spot where she always watched and waited when I was out. "'When I came home at eleven, I saw through the screen door her that was lost and is found. "'She had been waiting to welcome me for three mortal hours. "'I wish those people who believe cats have no affection for people could have seen her then. "'She would not leave me for an instant.' and manifested her love in every possible way. And when I retired for the night, she curled up on my pillow and purred herself contentedly to sleep, only rising when I did. After breakfast that first morning, after her return, she asked to be let out of the back door, and made me understand that I must go with her. I did so, and she explored every part of the backyard entreating me in the same way she called her kittens to keep close by her she investigated our own premises thoroughly and then crept carefully under the fences on either side into the neighbors' precincts where she had formerly visited in friendly fashion then she came timidly back all the time keeping watch that she did not lose me Having finished her tour of inspection, she went in and led me on an investigating trip all through the house, smelling of every corner and baseboard, and insisting that every closet door should be opened, so that she might smell each closet through in the same way. When this was done, she settled herself in one of her old nooks for a nap, and allowed me to leave. But never again— did she go out of sight of the house. For more than a year she would not go even into a neighbor's yard. And when she finally decided that it might be safe to crawl under the fences on to other territory, she invariably turned about to sit facing the house, as though living up to a firm determination never to lose sight of it again. This practice she kept up until the close of her last mortal sickness, when she crawled into a dark place under a neighboring barn, and said good-bye to earthly fears and worries forever. Requiescat in pace, my pretty lady. I wish all your sex had your gentle dignity and grace and beauty, to say nothing of your faithfulness and affection. Like Mother Michaels Monmouth, it may be said of you. She was merely a cat, but her sublime virtues place her on a level with the most celebrated mortals, and in ancient Egypt, altars would have been erected to her memory. End of chapter one. This recording is in the public domain.